0: Aren't you encouraged to have elders like our brother Tom? Amen. Certainly he's been a blessing to, to the rest of the elders in this church as we seek to do this calling that God has placed upon us. Um, and we do it well with his help. Um, and I, I praise God for you, brother, and thank you for that challenge this morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 this morning. We're going to uh, continue focusing on prayer. We'll begin in verse 5, Luke 11, verse 5. You'll find that on page 869 in the Pew Bible. Um, and while you're finding your way there, I, I would ask for you to pray for us elders. Uh, the elders, we meet every typically every three weeks, and we meet for three hours, sometimes three and a half hours, and spend a great deal of that time in prayer, but much of it is directed towards oversight of the ministries God has. Um, given us those responsibilities for. We, we have decided uh, to change how we meet. And that is every other meeting we, we do, we're not going to do any oversight. We're going to devote the entire meeting to praying for our church. And, and I tell you this because I want you to pray for us. We feel if we, want, we are going to become truly a praying church, that those shepherds in which God has placed in this church must lead the way. And so we want to begin to faithfully pray for you even as we gather together. Um, We're exploring how we can begin to meet with the deacons as well and having the elders and deacons together praying for this flock as God continues to work in us and move us to become a praying people as we see in His Scripture. In fact, I hope that Christ will do it even this morning as we consider His Word, His teaching on prayer found in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get get up and give him anything because of it. Excuse me. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. To the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful for our Lord whom you sent into this world not only to pay for our sin that we might be saved, but spent a great deal of time showing us what it means to be his disciple, what it means to be your child, follower of God, follower of Christ. And so we're thankful even now that we can consider his teaching on prayer. And Father, even as I've been praying this morning, will you help us to receive his word? That it wouldn't just pass through us, but it would find a home in our heart? And that his word here would truly change us and challenge us and encourage us and motivate us? That Now, Father, this wouldn't be just another day at church service at Hamilton Baptist Church, but that we would be impacted by you. We don't want to waste our time this morning. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to perform some religious duty to try to win your pleasure. We're here because we need you. We need to hear from you. We need to be changed by you your word has taught us that we are changed when we consider your word and the spirit applies it to our life and so we ask you please father will you not send your spirit even now in great power that he might take the words in which we consider this morning and use them to bear great fruit in us that we might be conformed to the image of christ for it's in his name we pray amen It was at 1 a.m. in the morning when Evan Roberts was awoken from a deep slumber with a powerful desire to pray. And unlike perhaps most what most would do, uh, go back to bed, this 26-year-old can begin to pray. Got out his Bible, opened it up, and he took the Word of God and poured over the Word of God and responded in prayer for the next three hours. The next night, he was awoken at 1 a.m. with a desire to pray, and he prayed for hours. The next night, he was woken again at 1 a.m. to pray, and he did night after night, week after week, month after month. God was doing a powerful revival in Evan's life as he poured over the Word for hours and responded to God through the dark hours of the night. And in fact, in response to this revival that was taking place in his own heart, his prayers began to grow in their boldness. He began to stop really, well it didn't stop, but his prayers began to move from praying for his own needs to eventually begin to pray for um, those around him. And eventually he began to pray for a revival in his small nation. In fact, he began to pray that God would save 100,000 people from his nation. So night after night at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., Evan Roberts asking God, save 100,000 lost people in our nation. And finally, after months of this, he had to tell someone that what was happening in his life. He went up to his pastor and he said, you know, God's been doing something in my life. I was wondering if I could have an opportunity to share with a congregation. The pastor somewhat reluctantly said, okay, uh, you could share. We have a Monday night prayer meeting. You could share there and I'm going to give you five minutes to share what God's doing in your life. And so Evan Roberts said, okay, Monday night, he got up in front of the church, small gathering and a prayer meeting. He told them four things. He said, one, God has told me to tell you that you ought to call, um, that you ought to confess your sin. He said, number two, you ought to stop your sin. Number three, he said you ought to obey God immediately. And number four, you ought to tell people you're a Christian. And then he sat down. And there was no eloquence in his speech. There was no no, uh, amusing illustration, right? He just got up, said these four things, and sat down and And yet there was a a stirring that was taking place. And in fact, those who were there said, you know, maybe we should meet tomorrow night. And so they came back on Tuesday night and had another prayer meeting. And then the next night. And then the next night. And the crowds grew every night. And soon another church down the road began to meet every night for prayer. And then another church. And, And then eventually churches all over the nation. Within weeks... In the nation of Wales, churches were meeting nightly, packed church buildings, people confessing their sin, praying for the lost. And over the next nine months, what we now know from 1903 to 1904, the Welsh revival, 100,000 people came to faith in Christ. And, I, and when you hear that, doesn't it make you wonder what God would do if we actually heard his invitation to pray and responded? Doesn't it make you wonder what, what would God do if we actually heard him say, the, the field is wide unto the harvest. Pray therefore earnestly to the Lord that he might send out his laborers into the field. What would God do if we as his people began to earnestly pray to him? And yet, it, it's a struggle for us, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, prayer's hard for us, right? And and this last week has been a huge blessing in my life, but there's been struggle there. I don't know if you face. I'm I'm diligently trying to go more intently to God, more earnestly to God, and there's struggle there for me in prayer. I think there's a struggle for Christians in prayer. I, I came across in preparing for this message a survey of a large evangelical seminary. In which they surveyed 100 seminary students who were preparing for four missions about their private prayer life. Of the 100 seminary students that wanted to go to the foreign field to take the gospel to far and strange lands, six of them prayed for more than five minutes a day. Six out of 100. Now, you think about seminary students. These are like professional Christians, right? These are, I mean, they are committed to God. And then and then you have the missionaries. They're like our Delta Force, right? They're special ops. I mean, they're going, they're, they're sacrificing it all. And only six out of a hundred actually have any real private prayer life. D.A. Carson said, if you want to embarrass the average Christian, ask them about their private prayer life. He says, you'll find they know a great deal of the Bible. They are active in service and sacrificial in giving, but often absent in prayer. We struggle here. The apostles seem to be perhaps struggling, for they ask the Lord in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Will you teach us how to do this? In fact, we prayed that last week. I wonder if we could pray that again even this morning, these little five words here. Can you pray that with me? Lord, teach us to pray. We do that even now as we seek our, our Lord's teaching. May God help us. And Jesus is teaching them to pray. Last week we considered He taught them what to pray. And He gave us five petitions. And we really begin to see, I hope, that these, in these five petitions, prayer is not so much you know, really what we get from God. Prayer is largely how we get God Himself. You see, when we pray, we express that we're desperate for God. Jesus taught us this when He said, Okay, when you pray, I want you to pray that God's name would be hallowed, it would be exalted, it would be lifted on high. I want you to pray for God's kingdom to come. This is what I want you to pray. You see, we're praying, God, I want you. I want you to be exalted in my life. I want want to experience your rule and your authority in my life. Jesus says you're praying for God. You're praying because you're desperate for God. Will you not exalt yourself so that I'm less pulled away by the trinkets of this world? Will Will you not put your kingdom in greater power and your authority in my life. We're desperate for you. And prayer is not just a way to express desperation for God. It's a way to express dependence upon God. I, I need you. Give me my daily bread and everything else I need. He taught us to pray. Will you forgive me my sin? Give me grace. Will you guide me in my life? I, I need you. And this is, this is our hope for Hamilton Baptist Church, that we would, we would become a people of prayer, not simply so we can become a people of prayer, but that we can become people of prayer so that we have a, a way to express that we are desperate for god and utterly dependent upon god in everything and i think christ is teaching us this here and so we consider what to pray and, and next week god willing we'll consider why we should pray and i hope it'll be a great encouragement to you as even studying that passage has been for me today i want to consider the how of prayer how how is it we should pray how does christ teach us the way to pray Perhaps you're here this morning and you're, uh, you may be a guest here. You may not be a Christian. Maybe uh, you've been brought by a friend or uh, may, maybe a parent or someone and, and you're here uh, and you, you think, okay, a sermon on prayer. Well, you know, that doesn't really apply to me, right? I'll just check out for the next uh, whatever time. Uh, and and I, I would suggest I'm not so sure that's the case. Um, even if you're not a Christian, I, I, think, uh, I think this might apply to you. In fact, I find it interesting that most non-religious people, even anti-religious people, have at some time in their life prayed. Uh, You you see this when tragedy hits, right? Uh, uh, When you you end up in the hospital. Non-religious people, anti-religious people, find themselves praying like they never have prayed before. Tim Keller says that prayer is an involuntary reflex of the soul. I love that. It is an involuntary reflex of the soul. In other words, no matter how uncommitted to God you are, you have probably prayed. Right, and those of us who are Christians. We've experienced this. Right, a tragedy hits in a friend's life who's not a believer or even a, an anti-believer. And what do they do? They call you up. They send you an email. They say, "Will you please pray for me?" Right, these people who would reject God are soliciting people to come and pray for them. It's a reflex that we have. There's even a saying that proves this point. Right, there are no atheists in what is it? Foxholes. Right, when trouble comes. Right, we call out. We're desperate. Mark Twain, a committed unbeliever, an ant- antagonistic to Christianity. His wife was dying, and at her deathbed, he said, "I prayed and I prayed and I prayed." Now, I even experienced this in my own life, of growing up not a follower of Christ, not a follower of God in any way. in Huntington Beach, California, I remember out bodyboarding and I, I remember uh, a wave coming down and, and pounding me and pushing me under the water. And, and that's normal, that happens, and you begin to swim to the surface. And I begin to swim under the water and I realized soon I wasn't swimming towards the surface. In fact, I didn't know where the surface was. And I had no idea which way to swim, how to find safety. And I remember, I, could, I remember like it's yesterday. Not, I, had a, I didn't know who God was. And I, I cried out from underneath the Pacific Ocean, God help me. And, and I found the surface, you probably could guess. And, and, uh, <laughs> right? and I made it to the beach. And I remember I sat down on the beach. And I was so troubled by that. I was like, what, what was that? What came out of my heart just there? What was a prayer? Right. Uh, I like how C.S. Lewis says he says, you want, to, you want to find out what's in your basement, you surprise your basement. Right? If you want to know there's rats down there or roaches, you don't, you, don't, you don't announce you're coming. Here I come. right? You don't open the door slowly so it squeaks or turn on the light before you come down there. You sneak down there, right? And then you throw in the lights to see what's down in the basement. Well, if you want to know what's in your heart, surprise your heart. When you're not thinking, but just reacting, it's just reaction, I will tell you, friend, you probably will see how religious you actually are. It's how God has made us. He has made us to be religious beings. You will see deep, deep down in the foundation of the soul there's a need for God. That's who we are. And this sermon may help you. It may help you see that you are much different than you actually thought you might be. And so let's see how our Lord teaches us to pray. He says, first of all, That we should pray boldly. Pray boldly. For those of you keeping time, I'll spend most of my, the bulk of my sermon here on this first point. Pray boldly. Verse five, he tells us a parable. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Set this up for us. Travel in this day was difficult. They would often travel at night, by the way. So friends showing up at your house in the middle of the night, traveling would not be unusual, though it wouldn't be common. Uh, travel, uh, by the way, was hard. It wasn't by car with air conditioning. It was not by plane. It was by foot or perhaps animal. And there were was no, you know, there, there's no McDonald's along the way. There, there's no Wawa's or anything like that. There's no place to stop and get food. And so if you're traveling, you're probably typically hungry. You, you don't have a place to stay. There are few inns in this part of the world. And those inns are seedy and dangerous. They're not nice places. No one's leaving the light on for you. okay? And so what do you do? You go to a friend's house. And if you don't have a friend in that village, you go to a friend of a friend. Or you go to a friend of a friend of a friend. And you you knock on their door. And this guy evidently knocks on his door, arrives at midnight. says, hey, um, I need a place to stay. I I need food to eat. Well, the problem that Jesus presents is that the guy... Uh, whose house he comes to doesn't have any food, right? He's not expecting him. can't call ahead. And he can't run off. There's no 24-hour Taco Bell. He can't. So what does he do? He, how bold is he going to be? I mean, here's the guy. A visitor shows up. He's got no food for him. And Jesus says, which of you? Right? That's the question. How bold will you be? Do you have the nerve to go to your neighbor's house at midnight and ask for food? Are you that bold? Well, he, this guy evidently is. He goes to his friend's house and asks him, and you notice the answer, verse 7. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. By the way, they would live in a one-room home. That's not a, not a one-bedroom home, a one-room home, which means they all slept where? In the room, right? And they would have one bed. They would roll up the bed during the day. And at nighttime, they would unroll the bed, and and he says, "My children are in bed with him. Everyone's the whole family sleeps in that one bed. Can you imagine that?" By the way, it's easy for me to imagine that, right? Um, That happens all the time. So everyone's in bed with him, right? And everyone's asleep. By the way, no electricity in this culture, so it's midnight. Midnight for them literally is the middle of the night, right? For some of you, it's the beginning of the night. For some of you, it's two hours before night, college students, right? But, but for them, min- midnight, I mean, they're asleep for four hours. And he says to him, listen, go away. You're going to wake up my children. My kids, are, my kids are asleep. Now, sometimes it's hard to put kids to sleep, isn't it? Some of you experience that? Standing in the nursery for what seems like hours with patting a back over the crib. You know what I'm talking about? Forearms going numb, right? The, the railing is up in the armpit, and legs are trying to fall asleep on you, and you're just patting over and over and over again, trying to get little one to fall asleep, right? And they stop stirring. What do you do, right? Do you take your hand away? No, you, right? You may go to one finger, right, 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 or you, or you just lay the hand there. You apply pressure, and then after a little while, you don't, no, you don't take your hand away. Some of you should be writing this down, by the way, right? <laughs> You just you just lift the palm and you keep the pressure on the fingers. And if you're really prepared you have a book that you're just gonna slide in on the back as you walk, right? You, and then and then once you once you got the hand off, do you leave the room? No, not a chance. Because if, if you go to the other side of the room and they start to stir, by the time you get back to them, they are fully awake and you are starting all over again. So you stand by that crib and you count to like three hundred, right? And, and you make sure they're asleep, and then you slowly walk out of, the house, out of the room, right? It's hard sometimes, right? In my house, listen, in my house, and I know I'm prone to exaggerate, but this is no, no exaggeration. In my house, once the little ones are down, it is tiptoes and whispers. I say, woe to the person who makes a noise loud enough to wake up one of my children you, you will have to face the one whom we affectionately call the Maternus Maximus, right? Uh, she, <laughs> she does not want her little ones woke up. So this guy's coming, right? So I, I'm fully, you understand his response. Some of you get this, right? If my kids are asleep, listen, I love you. I'm sorry you have this problem, but go bother somebody else. I don't love you that much, okay? Get, get out of here. And so he understands that. So go away. Now, does he go away? Go home with no bread. No, he keeps asking. He keeps knocking. He knocks and knocks and knocks. And what do you do? Well, you eventually open the door and give him bread. Verse eight. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. See, the point is that this man will give you what you want. What the, what this man is asking for. Not because he likes you, not because he loves you, just to get you off his front porch at midnight. It's not because he's his friend, but it's because of his, what is it, impudence. Okay. Now, I have four college degrees, and I still don't know what that word is. Okay? I, so I looked up other, other translations. Um, your translation may say, because of his importunity, which totally clears it up, right? Okay. So I actually had to pull off the lexicon. It means shameless. His shamelessness. His rudeness. His overly boldness. Right? And this guy's annoying. That's what he's doing. Because he is annoying. Because he's rude. His neighbor will give him... The food. I mean, you can imagine the conversation. I like how he starts it and he says, Hey, friend. You, right? And he calls him friend. Friend, you awake? Right and 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 maybe he hears nothing. Maybe he starts throwing a pebble at the window, right? And then finally you hear the whisper. What are you doing? The kids are asleep. I need some bread. No, go away. We're all asleep. Hey, I need some bread. Be quiet. You're going to wake the kids. I'm not leaving until you give me some bread, right? And what do you do? You get up and you throw some bread at him, right? And probably a can of soup, right? You 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 give it to him because he will not. Go away. Not because of his, he's your friend, but because he's bold. Because he's relentless. Because he's annoying. And we expect Jesus at this point to say, Don't you ever pray like that. Right? Don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you ever talk to God like that. And instead he tells us to do the exact opposite. He's saying, that's how to pray. Right? Go to heaven like that guy. Pray like that guy. And I don't know if you're anything like me. When I'm studying this, I'm thinking... There's a reaction in my heart, and I want to know, are you sure this is how I'm supposed to go to God? Shameless, discourteous, right? Annoying, bother God. It's, it's even there in the word, word. bothers there in the parable. Is this how I'm supposed to go to God? Now, we have to be careful here, Okay. Because you could misinterpret this because you you may think, okay, what he's saying is I just keep banging on the door of heaven and eventually God will get so annoyed with me he'll have to answer me, right? If I pester him enough, God will get out of bed and give me what I want. Not because he loves me, but because he wants me to be quiet and stop asking him. Now that is an incorrect interpretation because this parable is not to teach us how God answers prayers. It's to teach us how we are to ask prayers. Okay? Remember the question that's driving all this? Teach us to pray. Not teach us how God answers prayers. Not teach us what God is like when we're offering prayers. But teach us how we are to offer prayers. I would therefore suggest, though we are to be like the annoying neighbor, God is nothing like the man in bed. In fact, He is quite the opposite if you look at verse 11. Verse 11. He says, "What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your father, uh, give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So God is not the cranky neighbor. God is the loving father. And, and what Jesus is saying is, if this neighbor is will give you what you ask for, just imagine... Just imagine what your perfect, loving Father will do with such bold prayers, right? He'll do this. This neighbor will do this in response to your boldness. How much more will your Father respond? And so you can go to God with impudence. You can go to God shamelessly and boldly and rudely and even discourteously is what Christ is teaching us. And still there's there's a hesitation in our heart. I think, how can we go to God like that? How can I go to God shamelessly? How can I go to God boldly? Even, if you will, rudely. Which is what the word means. You can only if you understand who God is and who you are. To whom are we praying to? Is it our friend in heaven? Is it our neighbor in heaven? Is it our Lord in heaven? Jesus taught us to pray. He said, say what? Father, he ends his teaching on prayer, verse thirteen, calling him what? You're the heavenly Father, right? We, it, you see, shameless, bold, um, audacious prayers only work with children coming to a Father. That's all. It's the only only relationship that's going to work. So then, for instance, what, let's say I'm watching the Dodgers, okay, and and my three year old Eden comes by, and she says says to me, Daddy, uh, can we watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Snuggle? Okay? So how, how am I, I going to respond to it? Now, that's a bold request, by the way. Because, one, I love the Dodgers. And, two, I want to gouge my eyes out every time Mickey Mouse Clubhouse is on the television. Some of you get that. Right? It's a terrible show. This, right? So well, how do I respond? Well, to be honest, it depends what the score is. right? After all, Jesus says I'm evil, right? But most of the time, I'm going to say, okay, honey. Hey, why don't you come up here? We'll watch we'll watch Mickey Mouse. Right? We'll watch Mickey Mouse call and snuggle. Now why? I mean if you come to me with that request, you're gonna get a different answer. <laughs> right? What's the difference? Same request, different answer. She's my daughter, he's my son, and, and you're not. Right? You have to understand the relationship to whom we are, are coming to. You call me on my day off, right, which is Friday, by the way, for those who are taking notes. Okay. Okay. You go to voicemail. I'll listen to it, see if it's an emergency. If not, you know I'll call you later. I don't have... My kids don't go to voicemail. My kids... I don't have a day off with of my kids. Daddy's available to his children. So Christ is saying, pray boldly as a child prays. In fact, I think we even see this throughout Scripture, these kind of prayers that are presented. And you read the psalmist, and we want to read it devotionally and and reverently, but I'll tell you, sometimes it's not very reverent. Sometimes it is bold in your face. Psalm 17, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to the prayer of my lips. Psalm 55, O God, hide yourself not from my plea of mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. Psalm 77, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. In night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Psalm 102, do not hide your face from me. These are bold prayers that the psalmist is coming. And it's just not in times of crisis, right? We, we, remember Abraham and God says to Abraham, well, I'm going I'm to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And Abraham says, well, well God... What if there are fifty righteous people? Will you destroy the whole city if there are fifty righteous people? And God says, "Okay, if there are fifty righteous people, I won't destroy, I won't destroy them." And and then Abraham says, "Well, you know, what if there are forty-five then? Will you destroy them if there are 45? God says, "Okay, if I find forty-five, I won't destroy them." And and then Abraham comes and says, "Well, just just one more thing, God. Now, what if there are forty? Right? Will you destroy them if there are forty? Okay, the forty, I won't destroy them. Well, I, I hate to bother you, but, but what if what if what if ten? Right? What if ten? See the boldness which Abraham has? Or even the passage that Josh read for us this morning, Exodus 33. You go home and read that whole chapter. It's incredible. Because God says, okay, uh, you guys are so rebellious. Uh, you're going to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going. I'm going to send an angel. The angel's going to guide you, but I'm staying here. And, and Moses comes to God and says, God, if you're not going, I'm not going. So your angel could go, and he I'm staying here. In fact, I don't know if you caught it. He says, God, didn't you say this? Didn't you say that? Remember your promise, God. Be consistent, God. You told us you would do this, God. That's Abraham, uh, Moses. Bold prayers. Audacious prayers. And you can make those prayers if you understand that God is your Father. Father being asked by a Son. Now, lest we go too far... Right, we don't want to swing the pendulum too far, do we? There's reverence, there's majesty with God. Right? Abraham would pray to God. You know, who am I that I could talk to you? I I can't believe I'm talking to you, and and you're majestic and, and I'm just dust and and worse than dust. How about 30? Right? Or or Moses, take off your shoes. Holy Land. You can't be here with your filthy shoes. Holy God, shoeless Moses. I'm not going without you. So there's reverence and there's boldness as you can pray to your father. When you pray, do you pray to your father? I think so many people are praying to a king. And he is a king. There's no doubt about that. That's important for us to know. But we're praying to him as if he's like our boss. And if God is your boss, your prayer is going to be formal. It's going to be inconsistent. It's going to only be when you're in trouble. Only when you're desperate for need something. But if God's your father, you're you're going to pray boldly. You're going to pray constantly, joyfully, intimately. Right? Some, some of you don't pray because you've blown it. And you think, well, you know, how can I go to God because of what I did? And I blew up on my kids or I did this thing or I, you know, that thing in college. How can I go to God, right? I can't keep coming back to God because of these sins. And if that's your mindset, you understand you identify God as your boss, not your father. You're saying, how can I ask for my wages? I came in late to work today. That's what you're saying. But if God is your father, right, who knows you are evil, verse 13, and is still your father, he invites you to come to him. You see, Jesus is not so much teaching us a new technique, he's teaching us this new relationship, this privilege to pray boldly. So, my question for you is how do you pray? Just drop hints, right? Weak, timid prayers? Or you pray like you mean it. You pray like a child. Pray with boldness. Secondly, Jesus teaches us to pray relentlessly. Relentlessly. Look in verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So this evidently, you see the connection between the parable. This man was asking and seeking and knocking. Now he tells us to do this. But you, you see in those, the repetition, right? There's a relentlessness here. A persistence. Jesus is saying don't give up. Keep going. Ask. Seek. Knock. By the way, those are all continual tense verbs. Literal reading would be... Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. So Jesus is teaching us just not boldness, but this relentless boldness. Like the Apostle Paul who said, I wrestled in prayer for you that you might stand firm in the will of God. This, this relentlessness, this persistence in prayer. Keep praying, Jesus says. Hang in there. Persevere. Keep asking. This reminds me of, of Winnie the Pooh. Okay? I told my kids I was going to tell them about Winnie the Pooh. If your kids here, listen up. Um, pray like Winnie the Pooh. Okay? I don't know if you, you uh, are familiar with Winnie. You see where all my illustrations are coming from today. Uh, it's my life experience here. You know, Winnie the Pooh's out for a walk one day. And he, he happens to see Rabbit's Hole. And he, he thinks, well, you know, uh, I could use a snack. right? If, and, and so he bends down to Rabbit's Hole. And he calls out, is anybody home? And, and suddenly he hears a, a scuffling noise from within and then silence. Will the so Pooh, go away? No. Pooh says, what I said, is anybody home? Called out Pooh very loudly. No, said a voice. <laughs> and added, you needn't shout so loud. I heard you quite well the first time. Bother, said Pooh. Isn't there anybody here at all? Nobody was the response. Pooh thought to himself, there must be someone there, because somebody must have said nobody. So he put his head back in the hole and said, hello, rabbit, isn't that you? No, said rabbit, in a different sort of voice this time. Oh, said Pooh. He took his head out of the hole and had another think. And then he put it back in and said, well, could you very kindly tell me where rabbit is? He has gone to see his great friend, the Pooh Bear. But this is me," said the bear, very much surprised. "Oh well, then, come in," Rabbit said. You see that picture? Rabbit, of course, not interested in feeding a hungry bear. The Pooh is relentless, right? Kids, pray like that. Keep going to God. Keep knocking, right? Even the metaphor of knock—it only works if it's relentless. Right? This is not knocking. Right? You come up to a door and do that, they'll think something fell off the wall. No one's going to the door unless you keep going. Right? You keep praying. Even Isaiah 62 verse 6, this is what God wants you to do. Listen to this verse. Open your wall, O Jerusalem. Excuse me. Upon your wall, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. So this is what God has done. He's put people on the walls of Jerusalem. And what are they to do? "...all day and all night they shall never be silent." You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise for the earth. You see what God is saying? I have put people upon the wall to give me no rest. That they would speak to me day and night. That they would remind me of what I have said. That I might do what I have said I will do. God wants us to pray relentlessly. Of course, this might raise a question. It did. We studied this passage in staff meeting this week. And and one of the questions that that rose up is why? Right? Why do I have to keep on asking? Why does there have to be this relentlessness in prayer? And I think there's many ways to answer that question. But let me, let me try a couple. The first answer I would give you, you have to pray relentlessly because God is not a computer. Okay? God is not a robot. God is not some impersonal spiritual force. And, and it, some people think like, you know, God's a computer, and I've inputted the data, right? I put it on the spreadsheet. Why do, why do I need have to keep inputting the data? Why do I have to keep telling him what I need? I did it. i already done that. He's heard it. Why do I have to keep going back to him? The reason you have to keep going back to him is he's not a computer. He's your father, and you are his child. And dads love to be asked. Dads love to be relied upon. Dads love to be reminded of what they have said, right? Sometimes, at least. It, it, it shows you're listening, Right? When we pray, we're seeking our Father. We're coming to His presence. This is what we need. We need to come into the presence of God. We need Him. One thing is necessary, our Lord taught us. We need to keep coming to Him. This is why Jesus, when He taught us to pray, He didn't say, pray for your lifetime bread. He said, okay, God, God, I need bread. Right? Done. Right? Never have to pray that again. No, He said, I want you to pray for what? Not your monthly bread or your weekly bread. Your daily bread. I want you to keep coming and I want you to keep asking because you need to be in the presence of God as you seek your Father. He's not a robot. He's not a computer. This is how relationships work. Your wife asks you, honey, do you love me? You do not say, listen, babe, in 1997, I told you I loved you. What's the problem? Right? Well, the problem is she's not a robot. She's a person, and and we this is how relationships work. God is your father. Ask him, seek him, knock on your father's door. Another reason we pray relentlessly is it shows us our heart's desire. Right? If you prayed for God's kingdom to come, God, there's injustice in this world. There, people aren't being people are dying because they're not being fed, people are being persecuted, will you you bring your kingdom you pray that and don't pray that the next day or the next week or ever again that shows you it's not very important to you right? you pray God, exalt yourself hallow your name but never pray it again doesn't that show you that's not your desire but if you pray it over and over and over again, you communicate how much you want it, how much you're seeking after it Do you persevere in prayer? Pray relentlessly. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Keep going back to your Father. Third and last, Jesus teaches us to pray confidently. Pray confidently. Look again in verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So what happens if you ask? Right? You receive. That's what it says. Ask and what? You will receive. And I, I would suggest to you Luke eleven nine and 10 is perhaps one of the most amazing invitations to pray. To pray boldly, to pray relentlessly, to pray confidently. I think Jesus here in these two verses is doing everything he can to motivate us. Over and over. In fact, I, I identified four encouragements why we should pray confidently. Let me give you them quickly. Number one, he, we pray confidently because He invites us to pray. You see that in verse 9? Three times He invites us to pray. Why not just say, ask and you receive? Why not just period? Stop there. No, it's ask, it's seek, it's knock. It's repetition. Why? Jesus is saying, I really want you to do it. I'm just not messing with you. I really want you to pray. Ask from the Father. Seek the Father's aid. Knock on the Father's door. I want you to seek the Father's help. I want you to delight in what the Father can do for you. So pray confidently because none other than the Son of God invites you to pray. Second reason to pray confidently is that He promises to answer prayers. You see that in verse 9 and 10 there are six promises in this passage right verse 9 ask number 1 it'll be given to you seek number 2 you find knock number 3 it'll be open to you verse 10 for everyone who asks number 4 receives and the one who seeks number 5 finds and the, and to the one who knocks number 6 It will be open to you. It will be given to you. You'll find. It'll be open to you. The asker receives. The seeker finds. The knocker gets the open door. What's the point? Be encouraged to pray. What more can He say to you today? To encourage you to come to the Father. He's not toying with you. This is true. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. Now, I have heard, and maybe you have heard, this this little saying, prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes me. Have you heard that? May I humbly say to you today, that is nonsense. It's not true. And I would suggest it does violence, To scores if not hundreds of biblical passages now let me take a step back of course prayer changes us there's no doubt about that prayer change every time you come to the father you're going to be changed every time you abide in christ you will grow in fruitfulness but there there are people out there that think that that god doesn't answer prayer that that god has already determined everything that's going to happen and therefore he doesn't answer prayer now, I want to be clear here. I believe in the sovereignty of God. In fact, I believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God, I sometimes get in trouble for believing so strongly. I think every single thing that happens in this world has been determined by God. And yet the Bible over and over and over again tells us when we pray, God acts. But Jesus says, they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. How does, What do you do? Here are five things to what? Ask for. Seek these things because it actually impacts life and reality. The Lord answers our prayers. James 4-2 says you have not because you what? Ask not. He does not mean you will have anyway, even if you don't pray, because God has already decided what he's going to do. He says that prayer causes things to happen that would not happen otherwise. And it makes me wonder what I have lost from my Father because I have simply failed to ask Him for it. He promises over and over. I don't know what more He can do. There are six promises that if you pray, God will answer. The third reason to pray confidently is God is available. There's probably a better way to put that. But you notice he didn't say, ask, ask, ask. He says, ask, seek, and knock. The picture I have is when you ask, you ask the father when he's close by, but what if he seems distant? Well, you go seek him. You search the house for him. What if you find him behind a closed door? You walk away? No, you knock on that door. John Piper put it well when he said, the point seems to be that it doesn't matter whether you find God immediately close at hand, almost touchable with his nearness, or hard to see, or even with barriers between, He will hear and He will give good things to you because you look to Him and not another. God is available. Fourth reason to pray confidently is that God gives to all who ask. Look again at verse 10. I want to show you one word. For, you see it there? Everyone who asks, receives. Not a few, not the well-behaved, not the righteous, everyone. Christ says for everyone who asks to receive, He does this, I believe, because He doesn't want you to be unsure. He doesn't want you to be hesitant in your asking. He doesn't want you to think, well, that's certainly not for me. I'm not righteous. I'm not a good kid, right? And, and he, no, he says, no, it happens for everyone. Everyone who asks, who receives. Now, we have to understand the context. He's talking only, of course, about God's children here. This whole passage in prayer is in the context of our relationship with God. And if, if Jesus is not your Savior, then God is not your Father. And these promises do not hold to you. These are for his children, and for all of his children are all of them, every one of them, are welcome to come to him and ask him. And I think about these invitations to pray, and Father invites us over and over and over and over and over and over and over for his children to ask him, and he says, "I'm going to answer." That to me is unimaginable, and there is there must be deep sin in my heart. To be this, I need to keep on notes, but the fact that this doesn't just explode in me. Why don't I pray? If he says it, he'll do it. Why don't we, why aren't we constantly banging on the doors of heaven when our Lord, none other than Jesus Christ says, if you ask, everyone who asks receives. I don't know what else he could do. For me, or for you, to get us to be serious about this, it is, seems to me in light of this passage the, the height of foolishness how little inclined we are to pray. The greatest invitation I think in the world offered to us, and we regularly turn away. Now I, I know when I say pray confidently, there's questions that rise in your heart, because you say, wait a second, Pastor, hold on a second. I've asked, and I have asked, and I have asked, and I have asked, and I have not yet received. And that's a huge deal, isn't it? And, and I, we're going to cover that, God willing, next week. So I, I, I don't want to just ignore that. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that next week. Hang on. Come back next week. We'll consider that. But please understand that God doesn't, he's not giving us a blank check. He's not a genie. We talked about that last week. No, we didn't. We'll talk about that next week. Okay. Right? Right? So he's our father. He's going to give to us what is good for us. So the apostles come to him and say, teach us to pray. The Lord says to them, this is how you pray. I don't want to be timid, weak prayers. I want it to be bold prayers, relentless prayers, confident prayers. He's your father. You're his child. He wants to hear from you. He's a good father. He's not an evil father. He's a perfect father. Pray big, bold, Audacious prayers, you know Ephesians 3:20. Now to him who is able, you know this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine, right? That's the one we're praying to, right? What can you imagine? He is able to do far more abundantly than all that you can ask or imagine. Or as John Newton put it, "Thou art coming to a King. Large petitions would thee bring, for His grace and power are such." None can ever ask too much. So yes, pray for your daily bread. Pray for your circumstances. But pray for more than that. Pray for more than that. Pray that God's name will be hallowed. He'll be exalted. Pray that His kingdom will come. His perfect will will be done here in your life and in this world. Pray pray for His forgiveness for your sin. Pray for guidance in your life. This is what Christ taught us. And it's not only what He taught us, it's what He did. I remind you in closing of Hebrews 5 and verse 7. When the Bible says that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. You hear that? Loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. I would suggest to you the Father heard that prayer. The Father answered that prayer. The Father did indeed save him, but not, did not save him by keeping him from death saved him by bringing him through death into life so that he could save you and he could save me. Christ praying about our redemption. I want you to understand here this morning that though prayer, I think, is perhaps one of the most important realities of our life as a Christian, it is not the foundation of our life as a Christian. The foundation is blood-bought grace and mercy from Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, please, please understand that we don't believe we get to become children of God because we are well-behaved. It's quite the opposite. We're not well-behaved. And in His kindness and grace, he, he saves us anyways by the blood of Jesus Christ. He sent His Son in this world to die upon the cross for rebellious people, to pay our penalty, to pay our debt. And three days later, rose. He rose from the dead. And if we place our faith in Him, if we bow our knee to Him, not clean up our life, not uh, uh, accumulate a, a set of righteous deeds, but we simply come to Christ and say, have mercy on me. I believe in You. That is how we become His children. That is how we become saved. You need a Savior. We all need a Savior. We don't need advice. We need saving. Will you not even now call out to Him, save me, be merciful to me, I believe. Be saved by Christ. And my Christian brothers and sisters, will we pray like Him? Let's even do it now, our Father in Heaven. We thank You so much for this Word You've given us. We thank You for our Lord, His gracious teaching for us. May it be, may it start a revolution in our life. I'm going to go big, God. Will Will You utterly transform Hamilton Baptist? Will You utterly transform me and my brothers and sisters to become people devoted to You, dependent upon You, desperate for You in prayer. May we become just a totally different people because of Your work. Hallow Your name in us by changing us. Do whatever You need to do to make us different. Even if it's painful, we will take it. Even if it's hard... If it will make us more like Christ, we will take it. We ask for it. We trust it's all good. So please, Father, don't let us just leave here, shrugging our shoulders. Let your Spirit begin to work these truths in us. Don't don't let us forget them. Bother us. Work in our heart. Let it just nag upon us. Let us force us to you. Do. What does this mean? Help me to change. Please, Father, we, we are simply asking that you would bring your kingdom, you would hallow your name in Hamilton Baptist Church by making us into a people of prayer. Do this now. Do this this week as we finish our time. I'll have this emphasis on prayer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.